The following content has been rated for mature audiences only. Viewer discretion is advised. Well, I'm not an expert. I'm not an authority. I'm someone who has been a murderer for almost 20 years. Maybe I should have killed four or five hundred people, then I would have felt better. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. There must be something in that. I showed emotion. You know what people said? See, you really can't get violent and angry. Welcome to The Squonk and the Hag, a podcast about murder, mystery, the supernatural, and even a conspiracy or two. Dun, dun, dun. My name is Mo. And I'm Kraken. Welcome on in, guys, to another episode of The Squonk and the Hag. And with me, as always, it's... It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Hi. Although, uh, this should tell you... uh what it's like working with you uh tonight i have a beer while we're recording to take the edge off no actually the that's not why i have a beer but <laughs> that's that's fine i've got uh, i'm i'm taking notes from you i have a little small pack of uh, a leave right here pain reliever <laughs> it's got two capsules i have i have a, a bottle of advil as always but no i i had a uh it's been a, an interesting week at work and then uh my so I've been redoing the craft room as Cracko knows, and I got an IKEA delivery today. So then after work, I built a bookcase, and now I'm just like I'm physically kaput. I too have been building bookcases, so yes, I know the feels. Copycat. No, I had to change it up a little bit by dropping one of the screws that I didn't have an extra one for, you know, and losing it. Oh, that's the worst. Luckily, I had a screw that just happened to be laying around that was about the same size and it worked, so. We'll be recording and suddenly there's a huge crash behind you. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, but yes, so tonight is a motel. And we're going to be diving into some true crime. Before we do, if you guys have been watching the website, you would see the Weirdly Bugle, epi uh, not episode, issue two was uh, released. Well, as of when we're recording, it was released this week. Um, when this releases, we should have episode or episode issue three. We should have issue three up on the website. Oh, Lord. This is going to be a long night. Boy, we've got issues, all right. <laughs> I got issues. Uh, so, so yeah, that's exciting. Um, it's a lot of fun. This last episode was a really good mix of the supernatural as well as true crime. And I don't know if I would call it a true crime story, but one of my favorites on there is the Liquid Matthew murder, which if you go on the site and read it, it's hilarious. Um because there wasn't the name alone is horrifying though well yeah so there wasn't actually like matthew was not liquefied and murdered um i'm not gonna do spoilers for the whole thing but yeah so that story is actually quite humorous but anyway do you have anything else before we get into the story i got nothing i think that's it just crickets in your brain yeah like usual not surprised. Uh, so kind of uh, before we like hop into the story itself, I was actually this one was a real struggle for me to write up. 
And I don't know why, because it's one I've been fascinated with for years. And it's actually uh, the big inspiration between that between. Oh, Lord, behind um, my favorite Criminal Minds story, which was actually a two part episode. Um, it was the season finale of season four. So I don't know. I know you've been watching that show, but I don't know if you're up to season four yet. No, we're just partway into uh, season two. Okay. Well, once you get into season four, it is the finale. Um, it's a two-parter. It's the episodes. Um, the first one is To Hell, and the second one is And Back. So it's um, it's one of my favorite episodes. Or, well, it's, two, it's a two-parter, but it's one of my favorite stories from that show. Obviously, things changed in that. You know, it's just the inspiration. It's not a, a, a factual telling of the story, but it's not a complete recreation. Yeah, but it's a story that, like, I, I I've known about this criminal. I've known about the story, but for some reason, when I was like, the research was fine. It was just getting words out of my brain and onto the page to explain the story. So. Hopefully it's not hopefully it's not as rough as I think it might be, but it is a super insane story. And I think the icing on the cake is it's a Canadian serial killer. Oh boy, this route again. Yeah, it seems like in Canada when they go bad, they go real bad. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. So this takes place in Port Coquitlam. Uh, it's a very charming suburb of Vancouver, which is in Canada's western province of British Columbia. While the population nowadays is somewhere around 65,000, the area was much more rural, especially back in 1949 when Leonard and Louise Pickton welcomed their middle child, Robert, into the world. I, I just want to say really quick that I, I love the word rural, how for most people it just comes out as rural. What? Did I say it wrong? It's just, it's just kind of... No, you didn't say it wrong. It's just that how I've heard most people say it is instead of rural and like, you know, saying the full word it just kind of ends up mushed together and it just comes out as rural yeah it just comes out as some sort of noise yeah well i know so i've mentioned before i love bailey sarian and that word kills her every time she's like i'm like oh poor bailey Oh, another one that gets me every time is the plural of the word mask because like it masks it's just masks it just, it's just a lot. It's the hard S at the end of the word mask. And it's just, it's it's a struggle. I feel like if we were going to talk about all the words that give you trouble. I'm just going to slap the dictionary on the table. <laughs> words that give me trouble. Well, here we have the dictionary. We have a thesaurus. I'm pretty sure all the words in the thesaurus are in the dictionary. I'm just making sure we're completely covered <laughs> So, the Picton's oldest child is a daughter named Linda, who was sent to live with a 
with family members like it was their direct family um in vancouver because the pictons believed that a pig farm was a quote-unquote inappropriate place to raise a girl however robert and his younger brother david were raised on the farm often the boys were sent to school dirty and smelling of pig manure because they were working so hard on the farm and they spent so much time doing that and their mother just you know let them go to school like that and this led to classmates giving them the nickname stinky piggy among other obvious teasing trying so hard not to laugh because it's not funny but but boy that nickname yeah yeah and to add to it leonard was an abusive father so robert became strongly attached to his mother and had very little interaction with his father to avoid the abuse as much as possible robert really struggled in school he was put into a special class after he failed the second grade the first time he then ended up failing second grade a second time and he failed the third grade he eventually dropped out of school. Uh, they, I was watching, I didn't add this into the, the notes here, uh, but I, I watched, there is this really good documentary. Um, I watched it on Amazon, but I'm not sure because we have Paramount Plus added. So I'm not sure if it's on Amazon or Paramount Plus but it's just called The Pig Farm from 2011, and it's really good. And it actually has snippets of him from his audio diary. And he said um, before he dropped, like right before he dropped out of school, he was working five days a week, 10 to 12 hours, and then going to school two days a week. So then he eventually just dropped out and he uh, got a job as a meat cutter before returning to the family farm full time in 1963. Now, even though it sounds like it's, you know, not a good childhood, he still says that, and I quote, we lived a good life, but we lived a hard life. So he does acknowledge that it was a hard life, but seems like he was happy yeah i imagine it's, it's not easy uh dealing with bullying on top of working on a farm full time and then also having to do school on top of that i mean obviously it is nothing even close to that but when i was in college i went to school full time and worked full time uh so i had no time whatsoever um, now that was when I was a lot younger, a little more spry. <laughs> I could get off on a couple hours of sleep. As they say, when the knees were fresh out the box. Oh man. I walked down the stairs today and my one knee was just like pop, 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 pop every step. And I was like, damn it. What did I do now? Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm getting there too. I I can't sit like crisscrossing the floor anymore, even anywhere like that for too long, or else I'm not gonna be able to walk when I stand up. Yeah, it's it's bad. Just wait until wait until you're thirty. It's gonna be real great. It's gonna be real fun. We're almost there. 
I know, I know. Just, just start... I know you already have Advil on hand. Just start buying larger bottles. That's fair. So, in 1994, uh, the Picton children, all three of them, inherited the farm when their parents passed. They then parceled out. So, it was a 40-acre property, and then they sold out a bunch of parcels, um... From what I saw, I think they kept 13 acres and sold the rest to land developers. So within a year, they made millions off of this land sale. Uh, Linda did not stay on the farm. I'm not sure if she sold her share to them or she just was like, okay, I'm going to go live over here. But Robert and Dave did stay on the land that they kept. Now, this is not an uncommon occurrence, but as their financial situation improved, so-called friends and family came out of the woodwork. They asked for money, lodging, drugs, cars, and all sorts of other free handouts. Uh, Their one friend, Lisa Yeld, said that they were just taken advantage of with substantial loans and gifts that they gave to people. She talked about one experience where someone asked for $10,000 because they needed it. And Robert, who was also known as Willie, because his middle name was William, he just gave it to him. He gave him 10 grand and probably never got paid back. That's a lot of money to just be to just be handed out. Yeah, like, you know, I have so... We have had friends in the past who have kind of hit a hard time and needed to make rent or something like that. And we've loaned out $200. You know, that's, that's I think, reasonable. Like, it's not bad and yeah. all that stuff. But 10000 Yeah, that's that's not exactly pocket change. Oh, yeah. I mean, for some it might be, but... You can buy a crappy car for that. Yeah. Like... You could buy a crappy new car for that. So, like, you know, very, very bottom of the barrel, brand new car. Like you could buy a lot of Advil with that. Oh, my God. So much Advil. <gasps> Do you know how many cats I could adopt with that? Exactly. You know how many catios you could build with that? Oh, man. You could just live in a catio. No, I like to be inside. I mean, it's inside, just outside. <laughs> No, no. I like to be inside. Well, we can have, like, a certain spot of the catio that's inside. Then it's not a catio. Hmm, you have a point. Uh, new new podcast topic for a later episode. At what point can, can you, like, just remove walls until the house is no longer a house and it's just a catio? I mean, as long as you keep the structural supports, you would just, like, screen in the house. It's like if you build a house frame with no walls and you just put up screen, yeah, that's a catio. But like how many walls do you have to add before it goes from a catio to a house? Well, I mean, if you look at those houses that are like all glass, as long as you have like the bathroom walled in, (laughs) like you don't want to be sitting on the toilet pooping and having someone walk by and see you. But, you know, you're sitting on the couch but see, that's my question, though, is like, if you have a walled in bathroom, does that become a house and no longer a catio? Hmm. 
I'm asking the important questions here. I mean, it, let's say, theoretically. So let's say this house is a square. Just a square goes up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the bathroom is in the center as like a structurally supporting column where there is a toilet, a shower, and the litter boxes. But everything else is catio. So like, you know, 360 degrees around the bathroom is open space. I would think that's still a house. But then would that not basically just make it a really small house where the only room in the house is a bathroom? How would that be listed? Would it be listed as just, you know, a porch and one bathroom, no bed? Even though there's a bed in there, like technically your bed would be on the porch. That's a good question. I don't know. Do we know any realtors? <laughs> I was about to say it's time to interview a realtor on the podcast. It's like, OK, we got really important questions for you. <laughs> We're looking to build our own home. <laughs> and we'll see how long it takes them to catch on that we're actually not serious. I want to see how long it would take them to leave. Exactly. Like, we, we want a house, you know, standard one floor house, like two bedroom, one bath. But we only want the bathroom to have four walls and a roof. The rest is just going to be screen. Well, no, the catio would have a roof. Oh, yeah, the whole thing would have a roof. But I mean, in terms of walls... The bathroom is the yeah. only place that has four walls. The rest Solid is going to be walls, just roof yeah. and screen. Well, I mean, it all also depends on would you consider this screen a wall? It would be a screened in like a. it would. It's just not a solid wall. It's not drywall and wood and all that stuff. But that would mean the catio doesn't exist and it's just an extension onto your house. If the screen counts as walls, you just made an extension onto your house. Yeah. Like our cats gets the catio through the bathroom window. It's like attached to that window. Yeah, I think that would just be the cats have their own screened in front porch. Back, back porch. Or side porch, yeah. back porch. Yeah. Cats just have their own personal porch. I mean, we are hitting the the heavy topics tonight, Greg. I know that that just took a hard left turn. Anyway. Well, not not to be a downer, but in 1997 alone, over 12 women disappeared in Vancouver's east side. To be clear, this has nothing to do with screened-in houses or catios. No, this has to do with the true crime story of which we're actually here for. Exactly. So, how does one get rid of a kraken? It's a trick question, you don't. I knew it. So, Constable Dave Dixon uh, worked the Vancouver East Side. Uh, to those Americans who may not be familiar, a constable is a police officer. Constable Dixon was used to the transient community of the area coming and going, but 1997 was noticeably different. Yeah, because I was born sometime around that year. Good. Um... This is all Greco's fault. Wait, no. <laughs> so Constable Dixon started to compile a list of names. And, you know, when you are working, a, a, I guess, a beat like that, you see the same faces. Even if they're homeless, even if they're sex workers, drug addicts, etc. You you get to know these people. You get you see them 
Um, you get to learn their names, maybe try to help them out, etc. And as these women started disappearing, he started keeping a track. And then he would, because he had their names, he would go to the social services office and see if they were still picking up their checks, you know, welfare or assistance or anything like that, whatever you wish to call it. And a lot of those names that disappeared were not picking up their source of income. That's not a good sign. Nope. And after 1997, as time moved on, more women continued to disappear. Now, most of the police force gave these cases very little attention, even if a missing persons report was filed because of the high risk lifestyles of these victims, you know, because they were drug addicts, they were homeless, they were sex workers. The police were like, ah, they probably just moved to another city. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You would think you would look into that because like, what if it's not fine? Well, what's sad is this happens a lot when somebody does have a high-risk lifestyle. They are often overlooked if they go missing, if they get murdered, if they, you know, if something happens. It's like, well, you know, they were living on the streets. What can we do? It's a really shitty mentality, but unfortunately it yeah. happens a lot. So... I just want to say, again, this is how we deal with things by making jokes. We're not making fun of it anyway. But why does high-risk lifestyle sound like something I would say and describe about myself? Because you're an idiot. <laughs> I mean, fair. Uh, I mean, in all, in all honesty, you and I lead very low-risk lifestyles. You know, we... True, yeah. We have homes. <laughs> We, um, we're not, you know, on the corner trying to score some crack unless you haven't told me something. Hopefully you're not selling your body. No, no. Um, pretty sure, pretty sure Bobo wouldn't like that no, too much. No, Um, so, you know, we're, we lead normal low risk lifestyles. I mean, I know you and I are kind of the same in that we don't leave the house much. So it's like. But you see. I was thinking high-risk lifestyle, not in this sense, but more stunting the forklift. But yeah, you're right. Ah, uh, you can't unstunt the forklift, Cracko. Oh, trust me, I know. I'm the one that stunted it. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, in terms of crime and victimology... A high-risk lifestyle is somebody who can very easily be grabbed and few, if anyone, will notice. Yeah, that's fair. I would notice if you disappeared. I think I think Bobo would notice. Yeah. Pretty sure Advil would notice, because there yeah. would be a sudden drop in sales, and they'd be like, oh, this recession's killing us, and it's like, no. I'll just... Mo just doesn't need it anymore. Mo has like the best insurance policy is just if anything ever happens to you, it's just Advil stocks are going to take like a, a 90% hit. 
So I think that means that Advil really needs to look into um, finding a way for me to live forever. Yeah, basically. Get on, uh, call someone, make that happen. Advil's just like, we gotta keep her healthy, but not so healthy that she doesn't need Advil. Right. They need to keep me alive. They don't necessarily need to keep me healthy. <laughs> they just need to keep me friends with you. Yes. So I guess that means they need to keep both of us alive forever. Yes. And then just imagine this just continues forever. Oh, Lord. I'm so sorry to whoever has to listen to that. <laughs> In June of 1998, Constable Dixon took a list of over 30 missing women to his superior. The case was then passed on to Detective Inspector Kim Rosmo, who is a specialist in statistical analysis and serial killers. By looking at the data, he did not believe that these women were just missing. The statistics of missing women from the previous decades compared to the 90s was considered statistically significant, which doesn't sound that crazy, but the definition of statistical statistical significance means that the results of a set of data is not explainable simply by chance, but rather attributed to a specific cause. And in this case, it would be that someone was abducted and most likely killing these women. The dramatic spike started in 1995 and continued to trend dramatically higher in 1997 and 1998 and actually continued to go from there. However, no crime scenes, victims, bodies, or evidence The department's official opinion was there wasn't evidence of any crime, let alone serial crime. A crime that wasn't attributed to these missing person cases at the time was an incident involving a sex worker who went by the name Stitch. Her identity was later released as Wendy Lynn Eistetter after, uh, so during all of this and the trials and things like that, there was a publication ban. The um, media was not allowed in the courtroom. Details were not released and things like that. But once that publication ban was lifted, uh, her story and information was finally released. I don't like the fact that when you said her, her nickname was stitch in my brain went to the Disney character. I know. I know. But that was her street name. That is what she went by. I don't know why. Potentially that is why she chose it, but um, so Robert Picton picked her up at the corner of Cordova Street and Princess Avenue in Vancouver's east side. On the farm, so he drove her back uh, Picton took her to his trailer and led her to a back room. Inside this room was a giant roll of clear plastic and a sleeping bag. Cozy bedroom, right? Yeah, that's exactly what my bedroom is. Just everything's covered in plastic and there's just a sleeping bag, yeah? <laughs> so, after the sex that he had paid for, Stitch was looking in the phone book for a number when Picton came up behind her and placed a handcuff on her left wrist. Soon, a struggle ensued, 
and Stitch reached for a kitchen knife. They continued to struggle and fight, and during this fight, Stitch was stabbed four times. Twice in the abdomen, once in the ribcage, which punctured a lung, and then a big gash across her left arm. She got some blows in, though. Picton was slashed across the chest and the throat. And this whole time, I'm I'm literally just picturing Stitch from the Lilo and Stitch movie. Should, should I call her Wendy? <laughs> I mean, it's fine. It's just it's an interesting mental image. I mean, I, I could see Stitch stabbing someone. Yeah. Little, little, little off the chain. Just a bit. So she, she was able to exit the trailer and stumble down the driveway, even though she, like I said, was stabbed four times. A couple driving down the road saw her, but they were a little scared at first because she was wielding a butcher's knife covered in blood. Yeah. But then they saw the handcuff on her wrist and she was screaming, help me. They were able to call an ambulance and she was taken to the nearby hospital. The doctor said she lost almost three liters of blood and was obviously rushed into surgery. Picton, on the other hand, managed to drive himself to that same hospital where he told the medical staff that he had picked up a hitchhiker and that person attacked him. But within his belongings, they found the key to a pair of handcuffs. And when they took them to the operating room, they fit the ones on her wrist. So she had incoherently told some of the details of what happened, and they found that he's the one who had put the handcuffs on her. So t two things. What are the chances they ended up at the same hospital? I mean, you got to think. They're out in the suburbs, middle of nowhere. True. Closest hospital. But the other thing, yeah, the handcuff key he had is going to fit the handcuffs that she had on because I thought all handcuff keys were universal for, like, standard handcuffs. I thought that was only for law enforcement. Maybe, but I, th I thought handcuffs were handcuffs and the keys were kind of the same. I could be wrong. I haven't actually seen, now that I think about it, I, I, I'm going to have to look this up later, but I don't remember ever seeing a pair of handcuffs that didn't have that standard key. Hmm. Good to know. Well, didn't matter, because Picton lawyered up. Uh, he refused to talk, and on April 8th, 1997, he was arrested for attempted murder, assault with a weapon, and forcible confinement before being released on $2,000 bail. Additionally, um, when you think about it, so yes, maybe the handcuff key would fit any handcuffs, but she was picked up stumbling down his driveway. Oh, yeah, there, there were several things there, like both of them showing up <laughs> about the same time covered in cuts and slashes. Yeah, I mean, there's there's that. This is true, yeah. So, unfortunately, especially for Wendy, the charges were stayed on January 17th, 1998. She was considered an unreliable witness and unfit to testify due to her heavy drug use both at the time of the attack and during the trial preparation. 
They said she could not take the stand, and since it was mostly witness-based testimony, they didn't really have a case. However, big however, police kept Picton's clothing in evidence, and they kept it logged, and, um, uh, what is it when they, um, not process it, but you know what I mean, like, they, they make sure nothing's gonna happen to it. Yeah, they just kind of lock it up in the evidence and bag it and everything. Yeah, yeah words are not going well for me tonight. That's understandable. So after this, the farm slowly transformed from a functional farm where they raised and sold pigs, livestock, meat, etc. to a party destination. The Picton brothers converted a slaughterhouse on the property to hold raves and wild parties. These events attracted as many as 2,000 people, including sex workers, drug addicts, and even members of the Hell's Angels. Speaking of that group, um, that that could be a whole episode on itself on, on the Hell's Angels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My favorite thing that I... The, my favorite story, should I say, that I keep seeing every now and again about them is how they were hired to run security for a concert uh music festival i don't remember the year of the festival but i, I specifically remember that being a thing because <laughs> someone thought that would be a good idea i mean i wouldn't mess with them yeah there was a lot of fights and stabbings as a result of that oh, but no. well after the 1998 New Year's Eve party on the farm, the brothers were legally banned from future parties on the property. <laughs> Man, imagine getting having a party so crazy that they ban you from having a party on your own property. Yeah. Well, I mean, thousands of people showing up, that's that's more than a party. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's an event. <laughs> so on February 6th, 2002, police executed a search warrant on the farm for illegal firearms. But instead, that's when they found personal items belonging to some of the missing women from Vancouver. So they went in expecting just a search and seizure of firearms and ended up discovering all of this. Yeah, that's that's a twist. By February 22nd, Robert Picton was charged with his first two counts of murder in the deaths of Serena Abbotsway and Mona Wilson. Both of those women had disappeared the year before in 2001. Police continued to comb through the farm. They brought in excavation equipment. They brought in tons and tons of manpower, equipment, everything. It cost the R RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mountie P, um, <laughs> a lot of money. I saw as much as $70 million dollars. In this search and seizure. I want to make sure I heard that correctly. That's the Royal Canadian Mountie P, right? Shut up. I, don't, I can't remember if it's poli police or patrol. I think it's patrol, but that, that was just kind of funny. I think, 
Yeah, I didn't write the it down. There. I, I put R RCMP and I forget what the P stands for. Um, <laughs> the Royal Canadian Mounted Poop. Uh, <laughs> there we go. So both women had disappeared in 2001 and they continued to look through the farm. And by April 2nd, there were three more murder charges added for Jacqueline McDonald, Diane Rock, and Heather Bottomley. Soon, more charges were add, added. Andrea Joesbury and Brenda Wolf. By October, the count was to 15 murders, including Georgina Pappin, Patricia Johnson, Helen Hallmark, Jennifer Firminger, Helen Chinock, Tanya Holick, Sherry Irving, and Inga Hall. By May of 20, 2005, 12 more charges were added. Yeah, you were... Uh... You, you weren't kidding when you said that uh, when, when the Canadians go bad, they go bad. Yeah. Yeah, so these charges were for Kara Ellis, Andrea Borhaven, Deborah Jones, Marnie Frey, Tiffany Drew, Carrie Kosky, Sarah DeVries, Cynthia Felix, Angelina, or Angela Jardine, Wendy Crawford, Diana Melnick, and a Jane Doe bringing the total to 27 charges. Uh, some of the evidence was bones, bone fragments, personal effects. Uh, there was just so much that they found at this farm. And forensic analysis was difficult because of the state of the bodies. So after these women were killed... They were left in the pig pens. Part of it was time. Part of it was, you know, insects and decomposition. But also the pigs ate a lot of the bodies and reduced the evidence to just mere scraps. Yeah, we've had conversations about the pig farms. Yeah. Pigs will eat anything. They're, they are legitimately true omnivores. They don't care. Now, obviously, I haven't grown up around pigs, and I don't know if this is true or not, or if this is something that I heard in a movie, but I remember seeing or hearing something that said that it's typically why you don't want to get knocked down in a pig enclosure is because when pigs see someone or something laying down, they think, oh, food. I have never heard about laying down, but I have. So I grew up out in the country, and there was a pig farm down the street, you know, like maybe half a mile, a mile away. And they always were like, you got to be careful. Do not go close to the pig pen. Do not screw around there because if you fall in, you're screwed. Yeah, I don't know. Again, I don't know if that was from like a movie or something that I saw and it's not true, but. Yeah, I, I still I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to fall over in a pig pen. No, me either. I mean, they didn't talk about why you shouldn't fall in. But in The Wizard of Oz, at the very beginning, Dorothy falls in the pig pen and they rush in to save her. Maybe there's something to that. Who knows? So this didn't get any um, charges with it. But after Picton's arrest, Lynn Ellenson came forward with accounts of seeing Picton hang a woman 
in the barn from a meat hook and skin the body. She said she didn't tell the police before because she was in fear of her life. However, on more than one occasion, she blackmailed him for money to keep the secret quiet. So I don't know how much of that fearing for her life was true versus just being able to have that trump card to I mean blackmail him. I don't I don't know why you wouldn't want to just tell someone cuz I'm pretty sure if I saw something like that I'm immediately running away and telling someone. Um I wouldn't immediately run away. I would barf first. Yeah, I have a feeling though that I wouldn't just for the sheer fact of I'm like, "Oh no, if I do they're going to hear me. I need to run away first." Uh true, true. I just I, I would not be able to handle that at all. I mean, who knows how any of us would be able to handle that. This is true. This is true. So after the arrest, um, after all of this information had come forward, police withdrew Picton's clothing from the 1997 arrest of Stitch's attempted murder and tested the items for DNA and present on the boots and uh, some of the clothing was DNA for two of the women that he was charged with murdering. Police then put an undercover officer in, uh, in a cell with Picton under the guise of just being a cellmate. Uh, they, they were... They, it was hard to get information from him during traditional interviews. So they were like, all right, let's see if he'll talk to another prisoner or something. And boy, did he. So Picton told this undercover officer and they have it on tape. Uh, so it is valid. Um, it's transcribed and everything like that. But he said that he was disappointed that he only killed 49 women instead of an even 50. And Okay, that's fair, I guess, but not really. I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, the chessboard killer, because he uh, was yeah. one one shy of his goal number. Uh, now his number was to beat Chikatilo, um, but the you know. Picton wanted to have an even 50. Serial killers out here making games out of things that don't need to be games. Like, bro, go inside, play Monopoly. Like, just do anything else but murdering women. Murdering in general is probably something to avoid. Yeah, 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 it, it's not just women. Don't don't murder anyone. This PSA brought to you by the Squonk and the Hag. Don't murder, folks. Squonk and the Hag. Don't murder. <laughs> uh, so, I know we had talked about at the beginning that he struggled in school. He was considered slow. And he didn't always have the, the same social awareness of everyone. I'm not saying that is a reason for this. I'm not saying that is acceptable, but they do think that that may have had something to do with 
um, why he committed these. I don't know if anybody truly knows. I don't know if anyone truly understands because he was not deemed insane. He was not deemed unfit for trial. He was just a murderer. Yeah. So on December 9th of 2007, Picton was convicted of the second degree murder of Serena Abbotsway, Mona Wilson, Andrea Josbury, Brenda Wolf, Georgina Pappin, and Marnie Frey. The charges at the trial were for both first degree and second degree murder. And um, he was not convicted of the first degree, but he was convicted of second. And I was really confused. So I was looking up the differences between first degree and second degree murder. And um, most of it is about how violent and horrible the murder was, as well as premeditation and planning. So, you know, if you stalk someone for three weeks and then you show up their house with a murder kit, that's very clear premeditation. For some reason, this was not classified as that first degree murder, even though I believe, you know, he went trolling for victims. And yes, they were victims of opportunity, but he was still out there hunting for a kill. So I'm not completely sure why they settled with second degree murder, but he was convicted of six counts of second degree murder. Yeah, the whole first, second degree for anything is confusing to me, but at the same time, I I understand. But because like there's obviously the first degree, second degree murder, there's attempted murder, manslaughter. There's like all different ways to define murder. There's also third degree murder. That too. Yeah. But like, it's, it's just weird that there's different degrees of it. Well, I mean, even though I understand, yeah. but yeah, because some of it is like you took a life, but you like if you hit someone with your car it didn't mean because to. you were being negligent, you know, you were texting and you hit them with your car. You weren't out there yeah. trying to kill someone. Um, so I do yeah. understand like the difference between that. But I, I couldn't just by looking at the definition of a first degree murder. This seemed to check the boxes. Now, one of the things regardless of the sentence or not sentence, the conviction it was six counts of second degree murder, but he was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. So even though it's only second degree murder, he still will spend the rest of his life in jail. So it's like, you know, you know, we're splitting hairs here over what's first degree and second degree, but at least he was given a sentence of spending the rest of his life in jail. Now, the additional 20 counts were stayed. Um, One of them was actually, I don't want to say thrown out, but the Jane Doe, um, because for some reason there was such a lack of evidence and information, that charge was dropped. So then it went down to 26 charges instead of the 27 that he originally faced. The um, the additional 20 were stayed and British Columbia Crown spokesman Neil McKenzie uh, 
announced the state charges and said, In reaching this position, the branch has taken into account the fact that any additional convictions could not result in any increase to the sentence that Mr. Pickton has already received, because he will be in jail for the rest of his life. Family members of the other victims. So that's 20 families. Some of them were upset because there is the lack of closure. No one paid for the crime, etc. But other family members, because of the gruesome and horrible details of these cases, they were very glad to keep that out of the spotlight and out of the public record. So it was it was kind of a, a mixed reception. But again, the key factor is that he is never getting out. And I think that's the important thing. Yes, he is still alive. He is still in prison. And um, I'm assuming he's still creepy. You want to go interview him and find out? No. Good. Fair enough. I'm good. But that is the story of Robert Picton. And I do have a full chronological list of all of the victims, whether they be implicated, accused, or convicted, that I will be putting in the show notes on the website. Uh, There are three cases that he was not charged for at all, even in the state charges. Um, These were uh, the murder of Marianne Clark in 1991, the, um, let's see... Dawn Teresa Cray and Yvonne Marie Bowen. Um, So those he has been strongly implicated in. But again, they stopped pursuing justice on those because he is already serving the maximum sentence he can ever serve. And speaking of already serving life imprisonment, that's another thing that confuses me a little, too, is why some some criminals are given like multiple life sentences like that's. yeah doesn't really make sense i think i don't know so this is just me giving my thoughts but i think that's more for the victim's families than anything else so it's like you committed three murders and we're going to give you three life sentences because each of those lives mattered each of those people had family um but yeah it's very odd because like i know we've we've done stories where they've gotten multiple life sentences and it's like are they gonna Mm -hmm. bring you back to life to make you serve another life sentence i I don't think i've ever heard of anyone getting sentenced like this but that would be like saying they're serving three death sentences yeah we're gonna kill you bring you back to life are they only gonna have to the first yeah i i don't i don't know how how that works so yeah when it comes to death sentences i've only ever heard that they have gotten the death penalty just flat out, just one death penalty yeah. because you can only die once. We're putting it the way you did. I, I, it makes a little more sense now, the life imprisonment thing, but yeah. Yeah. And also I guess if they would conceivably live to be 300 years old, then they can't be like, well, you know, I lived longer than a normal life. But did you live three times as long? I mean, I feel like a 300 year old person would have. Yeah called math cracko you act like i'm good at that no i don't okay then i know you're i know you're not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i can only count to four 
pretty gosh darn terrible at it. But that is the story for this evening. Um, like I said, it's one that has always kind of fascinated me, uh, mostly because of the pig aspect, because that is not a very common thing you hear of as a disposal method. You know, usually it's like burning, burying, you know, dissolving, all that stuff. But And it's also pigs. not every day that you, you know have these pig farmer murderers that just have a party with like 2,000 something people in a barn and get banned from having parties. <laughs> yeah, that part was so weird. <laughs> Imagine that you had a party that just just went so crazy that was, the city was just like, you can't do that again. <laughs> well, I I am not a party person. I, I, I don't like... Small gatherings is more of my comfort zone, where it's like, I know everybody there. Everyone's going to have, like, one beer. We're going to eat snacks, and then you're going to go home. And then I show up, and it just gets way out of hand. You wouldn't be allowed in the door. And honestly, that's fair. I really don't want my house falling down because of you. Again, fair. But yeah, that's all I got for tonight. Uh, a reminder about the Weirdly Bugle, which um, I can't remember if and what we talked about last week, but it actually is the brainchild of Ranger, who, you know, we love Ranger. And it's it's really fun. Just little tidbit stories of, you know, true crime news, um, weird stuff. You know, we should write our, our, we should add you to the Weirdly Beauty. Like, just write a story about you, Krago. Honestly, that would be kind of funny. <laughs> just throw all of the Krakow lore into it <laughs> you write it up I'll post it and one day he was put on trial for murder but later it came the charges were dropped and he elected himself as, as sheriff <laughs> so why is it that when I tell people that you freak out and you're like in Minecraft in Minecraft but when you say it it's okay because it's already been said so much at this point, I'm just rolling with it. This is true. This is true. I mean, I, w I was your, I was, wait, the prosecuting attorney in your trial? Yes, the, the prosecuting attorney was actually my adopted Minecraft mom. So, yeah. <laughs> Although I still love when you changed in, like, you changed your skin to the Lorax and a Hannibal Lecter mask. I was like, how can I make this like, because I don't, I could just put, you know, an orange jumpsuit on the Lorax, but no, 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 no. It's got to be better than that. Oh, man. If only it was modded and someone could have wheeled me in on hand trucks. Oh, that would have been amazing. I gotta figure out, not modded, like, is there a way to do that? Like, because you can push minecarts. Like, what if we, like, did a build where it looked like the minecart was a hand truck? Maybe. <laughs> oh, and this is why we shouldn't I'm, be allowed to do things. I'm sure there's some form of transportation in Minecraft that you stand up in and all it would take is a texture pack to reskin it to look like hand trucks. <laughs> sure we could figure something out. Oh, Lord. Anyway. Anyway. I think we should probably end here because this is getting weird. It, it gets weird the, the second we hit record. This is true, but um, while we're recording, I can't eat Cheetos. That's fair. Although I will say, I am a master adult tonight because uh, my dinner was a goober grape sandwich and a beer. So. It's peak fine dining. Heck yeah. Actually, 
I really like this because um, I'm still finishing the beer. And it's actually, mm-hmm. so it's uh, a Pennsylvania brewery uh, called Susquehanna Brewing Co. And it's called Orange is the New Ale. Fair enough. I, I just love it so much. And it's um, it's a blood orange wheat beer. So it's delicious. Does that, that kind of sound good, though? It's delicious. It It is very citrusy. And I don't know if you drink wheat beers a lot, but, you know, it's a it's a... It's not a light beer. Like, it's not like Miller Lite, but it's a lighter beer. It's not like a, a dark, like, Guinness or something like that. It's a, a lighter cover color, uh, lighter, crisp taste, and then it has blood orange in it, and it's delicious. I haven't tried any of those beers because I have no clue what I like, so. Well, I am a huge fan of wheat beers. Strawberry wheat from Lancaster Brewing Company is my absolute favorite, and then this one is now taking these... Not a fan of the uh, the hops taste. Neither am I. So if you don't like hops, avoid IPAs. Fair enough. IPAs are very hoppy. It's funny is because the only way I know how to describe that other than hoppy taste is I don't like the beer taste of beer. That's fair. That's fair. I, f- I don't know. I feel like hops, drinking hoppy beer, I almost feel like I'm eating. That's fair. Plants. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> like, it's like you know they they forgot to strain it or something, and now I got plants in my mouth. Or the and, other uh, way I could describe it is how um, you know the smell of beer like on someone. Like if you've ever been around someone who's been drinking a lot of like Bud Light or something like that. Mm-hmm. It tastes like that smells. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that taste. Yeah, neither do I. But like I said, this is it's very fruity, very I drink girl beer is <laughs> pretty much what it comes down to. Honestly, that would be me. Yeah, yeah. but I uh, I can't drink liquor. Like, oh, is it heavily fruity? Yeah. Yeah. Give me. Yeah, I can't drink liquor. But when I was younger, I could because um, it interferes with my meds. So before I was on this medication, ah. Um, I did drink liquor and I used to be into vodka cranberry and um, Mm -hmm. yeah, now the smell of liquor makes me nauseous. So yeah, that's fair. And I don't drink, I don't drink beer a lot either. Like this makes me sound like I'm like one of those super fun people who's like, let me crack open a cold one. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, the last beer I had was probably like a month or two ago. (laughs) Same. I have this, this, nice size bottle of pink lemonade vodka that I haven't touched in a long time and it still has a lot in it. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening to us be idiots, but we love you very much and we hope to see you next time and check out the Weirdly Bugle and Krakow. Hey, bye. As always, make sure to check out our website for all of the show notes, sources, and more information at thesquonkandthehag.com. And we would also love and appreciate your support by either leaving a review on iTunes or through small monthly donations using the viewer support link in the description. And if you don't subscribe, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast network to get notified of new episodes every Thursday. All right, Krakow, you ready? Bye.